Did it start? I think it started. Hello. 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 How are you? Hi. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I'm I'm good. How are you? How's your new apartment? It's good. Uh Yay. Did I I didn't tell you moving was the biggest nightmare in the world. Um I reserved the U-Haul like a week or two in advance. I don't remember. It was a while in advance. Once we narrowed down like times and everything. Because the building that we're in now has one freight elevator for the entire building. And so you have to schedule your time with it. And so we, because we got this apartment kind of later, oh. our move-in time was 8 a.m. on Saturday morning. Okay. So we're just like, all right, we'll pack up everything Friday night. We'll have both apartments in the U-Haul ready to go so that we can just drive it over. Everything's great. Well, then the day Mm -hmm. before Friday, Thursday, U-Haul calls me, emails me, and sends me a text that's like, hey, cool, 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 cool. That truck that you wanted, we don't have. Also, there's nothing available at that location. Also, whatever you get is going to be too small, and you have to have it back by 9 a.m. on Saturday. And I was like, so none of that works. What? Yeah. What? That's why did I make a reservation if none of this works? And right. so I called them, was on hold for like an hour. I finally talked to them and they're like, nope, that's all we got. Sorry. And I was like, okay. Wow. So none of that works. And so I'm scrambling and I'm texting Trevor and I'm like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And I was like, blah, blah. So thankfully, his one of his friends let us use his truck, which was very nice and wonderful, um, but it couldn't hold nearly as much stuff as this, you know, like the 10-foot U-Haul. Right. So then the day of, we get the first load in, and then Trevor has to drive back across Chicago to get the next load from his apartment. Meanwhile, the new place we've discovered is a three-minute walk door-to-door from my old place. (laughs) So, huge shout-out to my roommates, my old roommates, excuse me, Callie and Sarah, for helping me walk my drawers and belongings down the street. That's the most, like, city thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) We literally, like, cut through an alley and across the street with drawers of my clothing. And I'm like really hoping my underwear doesn't fly out. It was the strangest. And Callie has a stress fracture on her foot. And so she made it a million times worse by helping me. Oh, Sarah is a sweet angel. She was just like up and at them ready to go. She's like, what do you need? Do you need coffee? Do you want some quiche? How can I help you? (laughs) What can you do? Because I was sitting down trying to undo my Ikea bed about to just throw it out the window. Mm-hmm. It was it was something. But oh. got it all in. And I got to spend most of today unpacking, which was nice. So now it's like a it's like a place, you know? Wow. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see it. I'm really excited. Once I have everything like in its spot, I'll send pictures, but right now it's chaos. Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. I want to move so much. Really? I like your place. It's just like a million times worse since the earthquake. 
because oh, okay. there are just cracks everywhere and nothing works and all of our appliances are slowly falling apart and it's just I'm just so ready so ready yeah I get but that we're not gonna really start looking until after we're back from Norway so I'm stuck here until at least mid-February it's not ideal but it's doable that's a it's not like a year and a half you know yeah and you know I figure like you know we've been here for almost four years so I can tough it out for a few more months yeah you know absolutely why not yeah but like our neighborhood has just gotten so much sketchier and like Evan is just the oldest old man and kids keep like leaving their bikes on our lawn and he keeps being he'll like come home he'll come home and be like did you see that bike out there I'm like yeah dude (laughs) like we live in a neighborhood with kids yeah He's like, why is it on our lawn? We don't have kids. I'm like, yeah, I'm well aware, but I I don't know what to tell you. Like, if you want to go yell at a child, be my guest. But I I think I'm good. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's like this tree that is overgrown, but it's like on the other side of the fence behind our house. So it's mm-hmm. not on the like landlord's property. It's like along the bike path. So I'm pretty sure it's a city property tree and it's, so overgrown that its branches whenever it's windy just slap against the side of our room so it like wakes me up in the middle of the night and it like doesn't bother him at all he's like oh yeah well you know we can't crop cut it down because that's that's property law and I'm like I don't want to cut it down I just am saying maybe we just trim one of these branches that's just hitting our house all the time and he's like no 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 I'm like how this tree is like actively affecting our lives and the bikes are not so well he anyway. is a million years old and the tree is nature. You know, it really just boils down to both of us being a million years old in different ways. You know? That's fair. Yeah. I get that. So anyway. I'm a little grumpy today because I went to the dentist. <laughs> oh yeah. And I just that's, that's I just fair. hate the dentist so much. Sorry, Dylan, but so, yeah, so much. the dentist sucks. It was, yeah, it was no good, but none of my teeth are falling out, and um, That's they good. seem to think that maybe, and if Dylan listens to this, he's going to be really stoked because he's got a pool <laughs> on who is going to figure out what's going on with my migraine, and my no. dentist thinks that he knows what it is, so they think it's like TMJ. Mm-hmm. I just like really bad tmj which can like affect a whole anyway it's but yeah i mean other than that pretty good my migraine's been mellow today which i really appreciate yeah yeah that's kind of all that's been going on we went to the fair on saturday did you gain 17 pounds oh my god dude i ate like my entire weight in corn good And it was awesome. And everybody was making fun of me because I was like, okay, listen, here's the deal. I need three corn minimum. I need an entry fair corn, a -hmm. mid-fair corn, and then Mm -hmm. a road corn. You have to get Mm -hmm. one on the way out. Yeah. And everybody's like, that's uh, that's too much corn. No, it's not. Have they not seen our first date photo with corn? Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. That should go up on our our key images this week. It's pinned up in my car at all times. It is pinned up in your car. I love that. What's your fancy divorcee drink today? Um, box wine. Nice. Love yeah. it. <laughs> Once again, mine's a PBR. Hey, you do what you got to do, and I appreciate I'm just, that. I'm still sitting on this uh, Girdwood Brewing beer. Yeah, we talked about good... like two weeks ago. 
wait, wait for a good time. We, so especially when packing up Trevor's place, we found a bunch of like nice bottled beers. Yeah. Um, and he had a couple other ones and one of our, one of our friends that, uh, worked at Haymarket, well, I guess currently works at Haymarket that we met when we worked there. He has a bunch of bottles cause he just moved from, or not just anyway, he moved from a brewery in Oklahoma city where he brought a bunch of like nice bottle beer. So he's been wanting to have a bottle share for weeks now and it just hasn't worked out. Um, but this building has an awesome patio. And so we keep telling everybody like, Hey, just, just bring your bottles to our patio and we'll bring like chips and salsa or something. Oh man. And have like a little beer tasting and have a little beer tasting. Yeah. Ooh, maybe I'll do like a little cheese plate because it's fancy. There you go. Hit up that $1 bin at Whole Foods. Oh my God. I, oh wow. I almost just had a heart attack. It's cool. It's fine. What happened? I, there was a piece of fuzz that was stuck in my hair and I thought it was a spider from the ceiling. So Mm -hmm. it's fine. It's all good. I would have outright panicked. Good news. I brushed my hair today. Wow. Brag. Yeah. I haven't seen you do that in years. Listen, man, I truly, yeah, I lost my brush while we were in Valdez and, um, I've been borrowing Evans since, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he realized like three days ago that I'd been doing this and he was like, sorry, you've gone for four months almost without a brush. I was like, listen, man, we live in the same house, you know, you know how often this happens it like maybe maybe twice a week like hard maybe on that and he was like wow I just I don't understand that like, here's well, the thing though I haven't owned a brush in months because mm-hmm. um, I just run fine. my fingers through it when I get out of the shower and then ta-da. yeah yeah I'm going for that whole um there's like a family of swallows living in my hair look Oh, you nailed that easy and like, right. I'm going to say 2017. Yeah, I know. Well, I have a question for you, Taylor. I have an answer for you, Reagan. What is this? Oh my God. (laughs) What is this? Why are we here? I 100% of the time forget that we are like doing a thing and not just on the phone together. (laughs) Um, Reagan, this is Babe Town. Oh, this is a weekly podcast where I, Taylor, Mm -hmm. call you. Reagan. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Say your name. I'm good at cue pickup. I, you're an actor, so I understand. Mm-hmm. You could tell. Um, we started this podcast because we were getting super bummed by the whole state of affairs in the world. And so we decided to uh, have a little dose of positivity and inspiration for each other and then maybe also some other people in looking up and researching and hyping up and just getting stoked about some badass babes. Yeah. Yeah. I am really stoked about this babe because I knew about her daughter, but not her. Oh, this actually happened twice while I was looking for stuff where I was like, Oh man, the mom of this famous person is incredible. So I'm excited about it. That's really cool. Okay. Um, so when was your babe born? 
My babe was born 1759. That means you're going first. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Settle in. Get your boxed wine. Sorry, hang on. Are we talking red wine or white wine? Oh, right. It's a Malbec. And I did pour it into a glass. I don't just have the box. Yeah, I I poured it into a glass. I was hoping that you have, like, a special shelf in your new apartment (laughs) that's directly above your couch that, like, just sits right above there that you just set your box wine on that you can just press that little spout and, like, just tip your head back, you know? Now I will because that's the best idea I've ever heard. Right? It's basically like having those old-timey people that stand behind you and, like, feed you grapes and fan you with big, giant leaves. Yeah. It's not at all inconvenient or, um, you know, a chore to just tip my head back and finagle to pour myself some wine right into my mouth. Okay. Maybe it's not the best idea I've ever had. My lady was born in 1759. Mm-hmm. Her name is Mary Wollstonecraft. That's a name. I have not. Sure is. Okay, great. So Mary was born in April 20, April 27th, 1759 in England. Um, oh. By all accounts, she had kind of a rough childhood. Her dad was an abusive, failed farmer. Like, they moved six times by the time Mary was, like, seven because oh. he just couldn't figure out farming um, and was pretty terrible to mom. So mom was just like in the house and didn't really have her own identity and um, was super unhappy, died when Mary was 19. So when her mom dies, she's like, you know what? This shit sucks. So she dips and she's like, I'm just going to go figure it out on my own. Yeah. We'll see what happens. So she was self-taught and super determined. So she ends up moving out. She helps her sister Eliza escape a bad marriage. So she's like around bad marriages a lot in her early life. So she helps her sister Eliza escape a bad marriage by hiding her until they could get a divorce because 1700s England, that shit was hard to do. So she like hides her sister. Um, And then she and her sister and her best friend Fanny in 1784 decide to found a girls' school because Mary is spending all of this time um, kind of realizing that women should be educated. And so she and her sister and her best friend were like, let's do that on our own. Like, let's make that shit happen. So they start the Newington Green School, or sorry, they start a school in Newington Green, England. Okay. Um, it becomes super widely well-known um, wow. and like pretty renowned. Um, and it kind of became the roots for her quote unquote radical ideas about female education. <laughs> so she's kind of seeing everything and is like, you know what? women should be educated if we are to be anything other than housewives and mothers. Like you have half of the population that isn't really trained to do anything because there's not, there aren't education opportunities for women. Um, So she was like firmly set in the idea that this disparity was something that the government had to fix. She's like, it needs to be mandated that women and girls go to school just like men. Like, yeah, 
train us to do things and we can be uh, contributing members of society. What a radical. Dude, so radical. Who to thunk? Slow um, down, Mary. Blown away by the progressiveness. Um, so her experience uh, at this school inspired her first book about educating women, which was called Thoughts on the Education of Daughters. Um, so in 1787, she ends up settling in London and she wants to be an author. So she starts hanging out with a group called the Rational Dissenters. Um, and they were just a band of like Victorian hippies, basically. They were just yes. radical thinkers and revolutionists. Like they were all big proponents of the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Like these guys were just like, yeah, why do we have to stay stuck in these ways? Like maybe let's be progressive and figure out better things for society as a whole. Mm -hmm. Which like weird that that would be. I can't fathom it, it truly. Mm strange um so she starts working for this guy named joseph johnson in 1788 so he was described as a publisher of radical texts and so i kind of went on a tangent of just researching this guy and like that is literally what he did he made a whole career out of just <laughs> like finding people to stir the pot and being like yeah i'll publish your shit so amazing so she starts hanging out with this guy and um, from that connection, she becomes acquainted with all these, like, London writers and thinkers of, quote-unquote, radical ideas. So she starts kind of getting her ideas out there and then also absorbing other people's ideas. So she kind of becomes part of this little echo chamber that's, like, publishing and um, advocating for change. So... Uh, Joseph Johnson, Johnson launched the magazine Analytical Review, um, okay. or pro I mean, magazine is probably the wrong word for it. Probably a journal like a, is a more okay, accurate. Okay. An almanac, maybe. I don't know. Ooh. I don't really know what an almanac is. A other book than of it, fables. Like, tells yeah. you the weather. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's probably not like Cosmo, but like maybe, you know, maybe. I mean, Radical it. Cosmo. Um. <laughs> So she, he launches Analytical Review, whatever media that was, sure. and um, becomes kind of like a main contributor. So she's like writing articles. She's writing editorials, reviews of other people's articles all the time. So in 1790, this guy Edmund Burke writes a paper or an article called Revo Reflections on the Revolution in France. So okay. this guy had been a big supporter of the American Revolution. Um, so he didn't super, he didn't agree with them trying to have independence, but he agreed with the idea that it's kind of messed up that Britain is taxing America for things that are, that yeah. Britain doesn't have any hand in. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's, so he disagreed with, with that. He disagreed with, the idea that um, the colonists shouldn't have a say and that they shouldn't um, be able to resist the authority, but he didn't agree with them trying to get independence. So he writes a couple of papers in defense of the American Revolution, and then he writes reflections on the revolution in France. And in this, he's like, no, the French Revolution is destroying society. Uh, no one's going to come out ahead. There's no point in them even revolting. Just like slams it. And Whoa. so Mary is like, 
all right, bud. So in 1790, she writes Vindication of the Rights of Man, where she basically is like, how dare you support one revolution and then totally shit talk another one? Like, yeah. no, put your money where your mouth is. If you're going to be progressive, be progressive. So um, in 1792, so the first one's named Vindication of the Rights of Man. 1792, she writes Vindication on the Rights of Women. And yes. this shit slapped like it was so revolutionary people were like kind of blown away by it so the whole thing she's just stating that her she's basically saying um there's no difference in the brain power of women um you can't say that women are inherently less intelligent however if you are not educating them by design you are making half of the population less intelligent on purpose yeah she's like that's messed up so she's like, if we were, if women were as educated as men, women could contribute as much as men, which means that any progress that's to be made, social, cultural, intellectually, scientifically, has to also have women in the workforce. Otherwise, you're cutting that progress in half. And yep. so she writes this thing and everyone is like, um, who's this broad? Like, she seems pretty mouthy. So, so everyone is kind of like blown away by it. And it's, it was so weird reading people's reaction to it because like in 2019, yeah, of course, of course, right. all of those things, of, like, of course. Right. But here's this lady saying this in the late 1700s, like yeah. amazing. She also wrote, and it was much, much less well-received among everybody um she wrote maria or the wrongs of woman which basically was like yeah women have sexual urges too you guys like <gasps> and it's not weird it's not weird yeah. and to pretend like it's weird is super degrading and pretty immoral like it's super Wait, normal what? yeah dude the 1790s she writes hey, this. good for her man oh, go God. get them my hero. So she's like, she's like, yeah, you guys, like, it's fine. Everybody needs to chill out about pretty much everything. Like, everything is fine. Um, Can I side note real fast? Yes, of course, please. Did you watch Big Mouth? Uh, I watched like the first two episodes and just really could not get into it. That's totally fair. Um, but everyone I know has told me that I should watch it because I would like it. So, I don't know. Maybe I just need to give it another chance because it seems like something people love. I also didn't get far um, because I enjoyed the first couple of episodes and then it got weird. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the point is there is an episode where all of the boys in school find out that girls get horny too. <laughs> and every time one of them tells another person that, the boy that is hearing it, his head explodes. And it even works on the, like, the imagination monsters. One I love of those that. things that, like, it keeps going so much, and it just gets funnier every single time. That's so good. Yeah, Perfect. that's basically But, yeah, what that's what I'm picturing did. for uh, late 1700s England. Just yeah. all of those top hats exploding. Dude, just picture, like, a bunch of fancy dudes in, like, Victorian-era garb wearing those, like, tiny pants that only come up to their knees with like the big ass socks big old socks yeah like a really big ascot fluff collar yeah. thing yeah i'm picturing like i mean i guess i'm 
I guess I'm picturing like fancy pilgrims, which I think is not accurate. You know what? This isn't a fashion podcast, okay? It's not a fashion podcast. We've never said once that we were a fashion podcast, and I don't like people assuming that. I would really love if people would stop. Stop it. All of you. Saying that we're a fashion podcast? (laughs) I mean, geez, people should see what I am wearing right now, and they'll know that we're not a fashion podcast, so. What were we talking about? Oh, Babes Get Horny. Okay, so. Babes Get Horny. um, The same year that she publishes that. Um. She meets this guy, Captain Gilbert Imlay. Um, He was an American merchant and quote-unquote adventurer, which I loved. That I was sitting on my couch, like, laughing hysterically at the idea of anyone being an adventurer, because, like, that is just not a job that exists anymore. On his business card. Oh, I just, I love the idea of him, like, in pubs being like, hello, I'm an adventurer. Yes. I just love that so much. And also I hate it. at your service. Yeah, it's like the same kind of move that a dude who's like, hey man, have you ever heard Wonderwall? Like, it, uh, <laughs> I, I hate it, but I love it because I pictured that dude in like tiny Victorian pants and socks. I'm picturing everybody that calls themselves a consultant. Oh, yes. Like, to what? Yeah. To what whom? Do you, yeah. Um, okay, so she meets this guy, Gilbert, old Gilly, Gilly Gilbert. Gilly Um, she has an affair with him, gets oh. pregnant, names okay. her first daughter after her best friend Fanny, who had died oh. when they were young. Um, she, they, the two of them, they travel around a bunch, um, him off adventuring and her off riding, like, a bunch of radical shit. Yes. Um, so after they get back from all of their travels, he's like, all right, also, bye so he dips mm. out so she's left typical adventurer um, you know what i mean oh my god you can't rely on them for anything 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 so um she then meets back up with william godwin so william godwin was one of these radical authors that that dude joseph johnson would publish all the time so he was kind of in that inner circle of like london hippies um mm-hmm. So she meets back up with him. He's the founder of philosophical anarchism. Like this guy is, this guy is so far ahead of 1700s England. It's insane. Right. So she meets up with like, what is philosophical anarchism though? Um, you know, that's a really solid question. Is that like Nietzsche? Nietzsche? Whatever. That that I had myself and I am now realizing I forgot to look up. So okay, stand let's, by. Let's... Okay, there we go. It's an anarchist school of thought, which holds that the state lacks moral legitimacy while not supporting violence to eliminate it. Okay. So I'm sure that there is... Like, all of this sucks, but there's nothing we can do about it? Um, I think, yeah, kind of. I kind of. So another site from Stanford says um, it focuses on anarchism as a theoretical idea, not as a form of political activism. Okay. Like, yeah, in theory, anarchism is great, but then there's also all of these different things that really would not work with it. Right. I don't know. Something along those lines, probably. Cool. Great. But this guy is the father of it. <laughs> great. Whatever it is, this guy made it up. Um. So neither of them believed in marriage because they both were like, that's tyranny, which <laughs> just, oh God, like I, 
I love them, but also they must have just been the most irritating people all the time. Yes. You know? Um, but like they... possible to just sit down and have a beer with them? Oh, God. Like, yeah, you guys, I get it. The social structure is garbage. But also, like, just drink your IPA and be cool, okay? Yep. Um, so they didn't believe in marriage, but they did get married anyway because she got pregnant again. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the late 1700s in England, so that's, like... Yep what you were supposed to do. Um, She gives birth to a daughter named Mary in 1797. Uh, When Mary was only Mary junior, (laughs) when Mary junior was only 10 days old, Mary senior dies from complications of childbirth. No. Yeah. So after she dies, story is not over. Don't worry. Okay. After she dies, sweet anarchist William Godwin Mm -hmm. publishes a book called Memoirs of the Author of A Vindication of the Rights of Women. And he details her entire life, like, bragging about his cool-ass wife. And he's like, yep, like, she did a bunch of stuff. She had a child out of wedlock, and she had all these scandalous adventures, which, like, included... He, like, talked about the time she tried to kill herself, and he, like, talked about her affairs and talked about all of these things that, like, Victorian ladies did not do. Yeah. And And if they did, they would die if anybody found out right like like he he writes this thing that by all accounts is very um he wrote it being thinking like hey look at how cool this lady was like she did all of this stuff despite societal norms still led a really fulfilling life and had a lot of really brilliant ideas like maybe we should all know her story yeah. And it accidentally ruins her reputation for a century. Like wow. he publishes that in like 1804, I think. And it's not until the early 1900s that anyone reads her stuff with any amount of like, okay, maybe we can learn from this. Like every, uh-huh. like all of the, um, everyone that's not Jane Austen basically from that time period. Sure. Like wrote all of their, morally corrupt characters based on Mary Wallenstar. <laughs> like they're all like, yeah, you see that lady? Don't be that lady. Like her life sucked and she died really young. So don't be that lady. So fast or forward like- to the late or to the early 1900s. Okay. Feminism as a thought of thinking, a thought of thinking as a school of thought is what the same was, thing. It's, it's fine kind of starts to crop up um so with this people start reading her work again and then suddenly her shit explodes and like people are like yeah this lady back in the 1700s was saying what we're saying right now and she was saying it really loud and no one listened to her and they really should have so yeah. they kind of um draw a lot from Mary's work, specifically her critiques of what femininity means and her advocacy for women's education and opportunities. So it really like kind of becomes this driving force of the feminism movement of the early 1900s, which is so cool. So cool. Um, So a scholar named Cora Kaplan talks about the kind of strange legacy that Mary left behind. So quote, For an author activist adept in many genres, up until the late quarter century, 
Wollstonecraft's life has been read much more closely than her writing. Wow. Which, like, how sad is that? Seriously. How sad is that that, like, you're judged based on the mistakes, or not mistakes, deliberate choices that you made that just society thinks yeah. aren't cool, rather than the really progressive, incredible things that you were saying, there really could have... a human thing that keeps happening. Oh my god, dude. Like, I read that quote, and I was just like, man, mm-hmm. if that doesn't really sum up just people Seriously. in general... That, Seriously. Wow. Yeah. Um... So the feminist movement identified with her life as a life being led by a normal woman, but it was enough to ruin her entire reputation. So the whole feminism movement was kind of like, yeah, look at this lady who just led a regular life and was so shamed for it after she died that no one took any of her important and really brilliant work that she was producing seriously. Like, That's so messed up just because she was a lady doing not quote unquote lady things like it garbage, garbage. So like her, not only did her writing kind of drive the movement, but also her entire life and how she was treated after she died yeah. kind of spurred. So cool. So cool. That is, yeah. That's really awesome that it like lit a fire a hundred years later. Yeah. They were like, we um, should be allowed to do all of this. A hundred percent dude. Like, it's just, it was just the coolest thing to read of like, oh man, cool. I'm glad that like the people that she ultimately really wanted to inspire, eventually she did, she did that. Yes. She was very cool. Way, way, way ahead of her time. Way ahead of her time. So far ahead of her time. Um, so just as a kind of final little fun thing, fun mm-hmm. fact. Her daughter, Mary, that was only 10 days old when she died. Mm-hmm. Not when Mary Jr. died, but when Mary Sr. died. Right, 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 right. She grew up to also be an important author. Um, she, in, when she was 20 years old, published Frankenstein under the name Mary, Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley, oh my god. Yup. <gasps> yup. <sighs> Which, like, destroyed me that her mom spent her whole life publishing these really really progressive radical things as a lady and then mary shelley goes and publishes like one of the first female written horror books and one of the greatest of all time the greatest dude wow yeah right i mean it's the whole reason that i even started looking at this lady and then i was like oh my god this lady is like an exceptional badass (laughs) Oh my god, what a cool freaking family. Dude. Oh. For real. For real. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the pretty cool story of Mary Wollstonecraft, mom wow. to Mary Shelley. That's really cool. Isn't that great? Oh my god. I love yeah. them both. I know. Senior and junior. I know. It's super possible that I do Mary Shelley as we get closer to October. That's fair. But. Because, like, I, again, as always, I've seen the drunk history version of why and how she came up with the story. Mary Shelley? Yes. Yeah. But I would love to see, like, or I would love to hear full details, you know? I mean, as many full details as I ever give. 
Hey, that's a lot. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's Great my job, babe dude. of the week. Thanks. That's a that's a hell of a babe right there. Thanks. Um. Okay. All right. Well. Oh wait. I should what? source my shit. Oh yes, please do. Good grief, please do. Um. Okay. So. I got Wikipedia. Um. Biography.com. Great. Historyguide.org was adorable because it's like pretty clearly just some like I I picture like a library in like middle of nowhere Kansas mm-hmm. running this website. Beautiful. You know. It's it's adorable. It's got like all of these like really flowery headlines and stuff. It's just very cute. Um and then most of the information I got was from a article on brooklynmuseum.org. Okay. Because apparently the Brooklyn Museum was displaying a um like a tapestry that had Mary Wollstonecraft on it and so they like kind of detailed her whole life. <laughs> Which I was awesome. like, this is great. Like, uh, this is so helpful and God, nice I love and interesting. Let me, hang on. Um, okay, and tell me about your babe. Okay. Uh, you know how your babe last week had a lot of pronunciations? <laughs> yeah. So it's my turn. Great. Um, I looked up a whole bunch of them, but her first name, I could not find any pronunciations anywhere online. It would just give me other spellings, but it never, I still don't know how to say it. So I'm going to do my best, but great. I love right. it. My babe is named Tokmaton Winnemucca. Okay. So she was born near Humboldt Lake, Nevada in 1844. She was a member of the Northern Paiute tribe. Um, specifically the, again, here we go with the pronunciations, the Cuyudica band of the Paiute tribe, um, which apparently they were mostly in like Nevada, Northern California, Oregon, and Idaho, like that whole kind of Northwestern area. Okay. Western, I guess. Um, as of 2007, there are only 700 human beings left that can speak the Paiute language. Oh my god. I know. It's That's that that's that shit that makes me so sad. So sad. Like like deeply sad. Cultures and languages being systematically erased through yeah. white government and what it We'll get there. Okay. So sad. Okay. Um, so she is the daughter of Winnemucca, who is sometimes called Big Winnemucca, because then his son, her brother, was Little Winnemucca. Okay. You know. Um, and then the granddaughter of Truckee, I believe. Um, which they were they were called chiefs, but the Paiute people didn't have a central government, so it's likely that they were war chiefs or something like okay. that. But either way, mm-hmm. they were they were like very respected a very influential family um, and they led their community in friendly relations with white settlers, which was kind of controversial at the time. Um, So in 1860, the Paiute war happens, which is also called the pyramid war where basically the Paiute people teamed up with the Shoshone and the Bannock people. And they were fighting the Anglo American white settlers. Okay. So, Chokmatone moved with some of her family members to California to get away from the fighting. 
while they're in California, they perform on stage as, quote, a Paiute royal family. She learned Spanish in addition to English and the three indigenous dialects she already spoke. Wow. Yeah. Um, she lived with a white family and adopted the name Sarah. And throughout most of the um, research, they just call her Sarah. Um, oh. So she went by that through most of her life. Um, and then she attended Catholic school for a brief time before parents of the white students forced her out. Gross. Everyone sucks. So in 1865, while she and some of her family are in California, their band at home, the Cuyitica band, was attacked by the U.S. Cavalry, killing 29 Paiute people, including Sarah's mom and several oh, members no. of her extended family. Oh, no. Yeah. So like a champion, she takes that grief and... Rather than turn it into vengeance or violence or anything, she becomes an advocate for Paiute rights among Anglo-American settlers. Wow. Yeah. Which, that has got to be the most mature reaction. Oh, God. God. And, like, she's 21 years old. And she immediately is just like, you know what? The best way that I can help end this and and this grief for future families is to be an advocate between these two nations. Wow. Insane to me. So how do you even, I don't, I don't understand stories like that either where, because I, I can't even imagine how you begin to process that, let alone make it into something productive. Yeah, I know. I, I have no idea. I don't understand the strength of some people. I am just in awe of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she serves in the armed forces as a messenger. Wait, okay. This is kind of where it starts to get, you could see that she had more forethought in what she was doing than just the times because she Mm -hmm. serves in the armed forces for the U S rather than for her native people. But because she could read and write in multiple languages, she serves as a messenger, interpreter, guide, and teacher for Native American prisoners, which I put prisoners in quotes because it's like Native American peoples that were imprisoned or trying to live on their own land and be their own people. Yeah. So that's kind of where, like, her legacy starts to get kind of iffy is, like, some people really are, you know, very proud of the fact that she worked with the white settlers and was an advocate and some people were like yeah but what about her people you know what Mm, I mean yeah um so anyway um between 1868 and 1871 she served as an interpreter at a place called Fort McDermott and then the next year in 1872 she interprets on the Malheur reservation in eastern Oregon um which throughout researching it sounds like that was like their their home reservation was the Malheur Reservation. Okay. Um, somewhere in there, she married a guy named Lieutenant Edward C. Bartlett, and that's all I know about it. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> hooray. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in 1878, the Bannock War breaks out. And this is, again, the Bannock, Paiute, and Shoshone people, but versus the U.S. instead of just some settlers. 
Oh. Um, partially because the U.S., being super awesome, decided to, quote, discontinue the Malheur Reservation. Whatever what the hell that, that means. Mean? They basically had a bunch of pressure from white settlers who wanted the land. And they were just like, yeah, this reservation doesn't exist anymore? Exactly. Wow. Sarah that, hears that. That's not, that's not how reservations work. No, it sure is not. It's like the whole point. Yep. But that's okay. how the U.S. government works, so here we are. Um, so during the Bannock War, she heard that her father had been taken hostage, and I'm not clear if he was taken hostage by the Bannocks or by the U.S. or what side exactly he was fighting on. Mm-hmm. But she heard that he was taken hostage, so she volunteered as a scout. And she crossed over 100 miles of trail from Idaho to Oregon, found the camp that he was at, got her dad and a bunch of his companions out, and then returned with valuable info. Because wow. badass. Wow. Um, but unfortunately, the indigenous people lost the Bannock War, and the U.S. exiled the Paiute and the, or the Paiute, I'm sorry, and the belligerent Bannocks, is what they called them, to the Yakima Reservation in Washington, which some accounts literally call it a concentration camp. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> Did you hear my cat again? <laughs> hey, bud. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> oh. Um, just... <laughs> wow. That sounds... Yeah, they're literally forced out of their homeland and into, yeah, it's horrific. Um, so later that year, she's giving lectures in San Francisco and says, my favorite quote, for shame, for shame, you dare to cry out liberty when you hold us in places against our will, driving us from place to place like beasts. Honestly, though, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And yeah. apparently we have learned nothing. Man. Yeah. Um, so while in San Francisco, she was speaking about Native American land rights and implementing systemic improvements. And she was calling out the unfair treatment and wrongs perpetuated by dishonest civilian Indian agents, which I think were just like, not super positive on this, but I think they were the people that kind of regulated land and okay. who got, I think, I'm not. Super like positive. you, like U.S. government people that regulated Yes, land. yes. Okay. Uh, which pissed them off immensely, but it got national attention. Mm -hmm. So then in 1880, she goes to D.C. to lobby Congress for their release from the Yakima Reservation. She met with the Secretary Secretary of the Interior, and then with the President Rutherford B. Hayes. Okay. So Hayes is impressed and promised their return to the Malheur Reservation and a separate allotment of land. But, oh, wait, the executive order that he issued was never carried out, so nothing fucking happened. So, rather wait, than be bogged wait, down wait, wait. by this. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> president's like hey we're gonna get rid of this horrible camp right mm -hmm. and then everybody was just like yeah all right cool the end mm -hmm. nothing happened nothing happened 
How is that even possible? Isn't that the whole point of an executive order? You would think. Nothing okay. happened. Okay. Um, so, sorry, you said at this point the Bannocks are there. Yes, the Bannocks and the Paiutes are both there. And the Paiutes, okay. Um, so then she starts a petition calling for the promised allotment of reservation lands to individual Paiutes and got thousands of signatures on this, obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so then in 1884, Congress passed a bill, quote, to that end. And guess what, Taylor? If you're about to tell me that nothing happened. Nothing fucking happened! How? I don't know. What do you... What, I just don't even understand what that, I, what that I means. Think it was, I think it was the U.S. government giving them lip service. And then not intending to actually follow through on any of their promises. Because if they wanted to, they absolutely had the power to enforce this. Right, and of course. Didn't. Okay. Yeah. So later that year, she published a book called Life Among the Paiutes, Their Wrongs and Claims. And it's kind of part memoir, part history. But it's okay. the first known autobiography written by a Native American woman. Badass. Yeah. Also, Badass. wow. Yeah. And even the name is kind of like their wrongs and claims. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's bringing attention and showing, you know, the history of their people. But it's also kind of calling out like, hey, yeah, they they did shit, too. Like it's not mm-hmm. it's not 100 mm-hmm. percent. Look at all the shiny golden things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she moved back to Lovelock, Nevada. And Which, like, a... sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like that's the only way to, like, truly um... – I trust something a lot more when they talk shit about themselves, too. Yes. Because, because there's never the... a situation where – I shouldn't say never. There's rarely a situation – where an entire group of people is blameless. Yes. Varying degrees of blame, sure. I feel like in order to get an accurate history of anything, you have you to have account to... for the shit that happened. A hundred percent. And be able to actually look at it from a not detached, but you know, kind of like objective kind of apart from it. Yeah. Yeah. As, as objective as you can be, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, so she moves back to Lovelock, Nevada, and founded a private school for Native American kids and starts teaching there. Um, so at some point, I think it was like 1881, she married uh, another Army officer named L.H. Hopkins. And the quote, huh, it's, okay. It's not funny because it's a quote about when he died, but it starts with at least her second husband, L.H. Hopkins, died in 1886. <laughs> and I think that is the funniest <laughs> way of wording that. Like, what does that world. mean? Like, like she least... had at least two husbands, but we're not really sure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> is that all that we know about him? Yep. That's so funny. <laughs> It's the bet. Yeah, at least her that's, second husband died in 1886. That's so funny. Ah, oh, man, that's so good. Um, 
Sarah herself was also sick, so she moved to Montana to live with her sister. Um, and then whatever sickness she had, whatever illness, it never says, but she died in 1891 at 47 years old. Oh, my God. But also super so young. young. So young when she died. Yeah. Um, so it's said that she has a mixed legacy because she tried to assimilate natives into Anglo-American culture at a time when they absolutely hated each other. But everyone can agree that she worked her ass off as a social worker and for activism or in activism for indigenous rights. Mm -hmm. So March 9th in 2005, the Sarah Winnemucca statue was dedicated in the U S Capitol. And then a month later on April 6th, a duplicate statue was dedicated in the Nevada state Capitol. Wow. And the statue was super cute. I'll put a picture of it on the um, Instagram this week, but it, has Sarah holding a shell flower, which is like a three petal flower with like a speckled kind of bulb in the middle. Okay. Um, but that's what tokmatone means is shell flower. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Isn't that the sweetest thing? It's such wow. a, ugh, it's such a great statue. Um, and yeah, that's Sarah tokmatone Winnemucca Hopkins. Whoop. Wow. Good I was work. crazy impressed by her. I just, like, the amount of obstacles she came up against and instead of freak out was just like, okay, what's next? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't, man, I, can't, I aspire to be like her in a huge way. I'm a source of shit. Oh, yeah. Obviously, Wikipedia. Uh, good old Britannica Online. Mm -hmm. Biography.com. Classic. And one of the greatest websites I have ever stumbled upon called Indigenous Goddess Gang. What? Yeah. It wow. is loaded, my dude. It is so cool. And you can just yes. scroll through and click on a picture and then learn a crap ton about a badass indigenous woman. Wow. That sounds great. It is so cool. I'm absolutely going back there in the future. I will say another place. Like, the one that kind of gave me the idea, I guess you could say, or, like, got piqued my interest, um, mm -hmm. is a podcast by Crooked Media called This Land. Have I told you about this yet? I don't think so. It's written and hosted by a woman named Rebecca Nagel, who's a member of Cherokee Nation. And it's about an ongoing Supreme Court case about land in Oklahoma and whether or not it's going to be granted to the state of Oklahoma or to the Cherokee Nation. And it is fascinating because wow. it goes super in-depth. Like, the literally, the court case was supposed to come up with a, uh, a ruling in June, and they decided to delay until next year. And so she literally has an episode where she's like, well, I'm just as upset as you guys are because I thought this was going to end and we would have an answer but now we have one entire whole, you know, we have another whole year that we have mm -hmm. to wait to see what they're going to rule. But it goes super in depth on like why the land is so important, um, not only culturally, but like physically. Mm -hmm. um, it's wow. It is super fascinating. So everybody go listen to this land. Crooked media. It's great. It, it's really fascinating. Good recommendation. Thanks, Brett. Wow. Good work. Woo! That was great. 
I get all flushed. Like, my face is blushing every time we finish one of these <laughs> because I get so into it. I know. I was laughing um, at last week's when I did Tamiris because I was, like, editing it. And I, the, I cut out so many of me just going <sighs> – because I was, like, so worked up that I just, like, had to get breath. <laughs> no, I get it. I absolutely get it. Also, I want to like watch that movie in my spare room. so badly. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. I made Trevor watch the preview for it last night, and he was like, yeah, that looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, so mm-hmm. we're going to watch it? Yeah? Great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn, dude. This flew by. I, always. It always does. I hope that someone listening to this is like, you know what? I'm going to make a movie about every single one of these. <gasps> All just like drinking be beer together. Ugh. <sighs> I'm picturing one movie with all of them. I mean, that would work, too. Yeah, I'm picturing, like, in... Just swapping stories. Yeah. Yeah, oh, my God. Can you imagine? Ugh. Or, like, a TV show where Can every episode imagine? of the season is a different woman that we cover, and then the season finale is they all meet. It's all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine Claudette Colvin and Bessie Coleman just being, like, man. Dude. Let's talk about our lives. Dude. Question for you. Who's your lady no. of the week? Um, I gotta say, I have I have two ladies of the week this week. Okay. And it is it is truly Callie and Sarah. They Oh yeah. Oh my god. They <laughs> went so far above and beyond. And I did that awesome classic thing that I do that a lot of people do, where someone is like clearly going to a lot of struggle and expense and difficulty on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And so all day long, I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, thank you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I love you guys, thank you, thank you, thank you, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was just the worst. <laughs> um, but it would have taken me another full day to move all of the stuff that they helped me walk down the oh, street cool. like champs. So yeah, 100%, they are my, they're my babes of this week, my ladies of the week. Those are really good ones. Who are, who is yours? I Quick- think... Quick thing while you before you answer. Yes. I think I've watched that Lizzo video. Oh my god. That you mentioned last week a hundred times. Dude, I, know. I love it so much. And I love I that it keeps cutting to the audience and they're having the best time. The best time. Latifah is about time. to lose her mind. I know. And I'm I love all it. about it. Okay. I love it I'm so sorry. much. Carry on. Um I think that my lady of the week. And this is going to be embarrassing because I don't know how to say her last name. And I didn't look it up in advance. Okay, Florence, I couldn't remember Viola Davis's name last week, so. Florence Pugh? But that can't be right. Yes. Florence Pug, maybe? I don't know. P-U-G-H. How would you say that? Pugh? I don't know. Pugh? Yeah, that's probably what it is. I don't know. Because that sounds like a last name. Anyway, she's the main <laughs> lady in Midsummer. Um, we saw the director's cut on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, and she, I've never seen her in anything, and she is so good. Like, Evan and I both left that theater after seeing the movie for the second time. We, like, were driving home, and both of us were just like, man, she is so good, and just, like, just supernatural, and just, Ugh. she's just 
great to watch. I mean, just, I would recommend anybody go see that movie just to watch her. I mean, that movie is insane. And if you don't like anything in the vein of spooky or gory or at all disturbing, maybe don't watch it, but it's, she's so phenomenal in it. Phenomenal. So, you know, you know, my level of like spookies that I can handle. Mm -hmm. Do you think I would like it? Probably. I mean, it's not, it's not scary. It's just wild. I mean, I, it, um, Midsummer is like, it's what I picture somebody who has done nothing but like lots of psychedelics and just wandered through Scandinavia. It's like that. Oh, oh my. It's okay. wild. It's a wild time. So I'll probably not see Hereditary, but I will probably see Midsummer. You should see Midsummer with me because okay. I would love to watch you watch that movie. Why? It's just, it's so much. It's just so much. <laughs> it's just a lot. So okay. anyway, um, Florence Pugh. Yes. Probably. P-U-G-H. Pug. Pug or poo is how I like to think of it, but it's probably not that. Pug. Um, she's incredible in it. And cool. I want her to be in everything ever because she's <laughs> so good. She's so good. So anyway, she's my lady of the week. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm yeah, excited man. to watch that and her and appreciate it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or be like, wow, Taylor, you've got really fucked up sense of movies. <laughs> well, that was garbage. Yeah. Yeah. No, I highly doubt that will happen. Because it seems like everybody with great taste in movies is like, holy shit, this movie. Yeah, it's a crazy time, but it's pretty fun. Well, I love you. I love you. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. And have a dynamite week, you know? Thanks, man. You too. Thank you. Can't wait little, for it. I'll do my darndest, you know? Oh, I regretted saying that the second I did. I'm sorry. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> oh, no. I love it. Yeah. Ugh. I love it. Gross. Love you, dude. Love you. Bye. Bye.